Welcome to a special afternoon episode of the Unleashing the Future of Work, a guide podcast. I hope you're staying safe and healthy no matter where you're tuning in from. Today, I am joined this lovely afternoon by the awesome Elizabeth, who is the co-founder and general partner at Hustle Fund, a pre-seed fund for software entrepreneurs. Previously, Elizabeth was a partner at 500 Startups, where she invested in C-stage companies and ran the Mountain View Accelerator. In a prior life, Elizabeth co-founded and ran an ad-tech company called LaunchBit, which was acquired in 2014. She has a Bachelor's of Science in Electrical Engineering from Stanford and an MBA from MIT Sloan. She's reviewed over 20,000 startup pitches, which is mind-blowing and crazy, from around the world in the last few years and has helped numerous portfolio founders raise hundreds of millions of dollars. That's pretty fantastic. Her work in writing on startup fundraising has been featured in numerous publications, including TechCrunch, Forbes, Huffington Post, Betacate, and more. You name it, she's been featured. And most importantly, she has a really amazing blog that you must check out that is fantastic and has all kinds of gems. And it's on hosted on WordPress, which is pretty cool, too. With that said, today we're going to be talking a lot about this entrepreneurship, venture capital, and her thoughts on what's going on in the venture capital and private equity space post-COVID-19. What are some of the technology trends that she's keeping an eye out for and her story in building Hustle Fund? Without further ado, I would love for you all to let me know where you're tuning in from. If you are watching this episode, let me know in the comments, and we'll answer and address any of the questions you have as we go on throughout the episode. This is a special afternoon episode, so make sure that you're tuning in and paying attention. With that said, hey, Elizabeth, what's up? Hey, Tim. Thank you. You're too kind. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for finding time to be on this special episode with us. How are you doing? Hanging in there. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> as a full disclaimer, um, you know, if my two little kids run in, you can see the door behind me. Uh, all havoc will will break loose, but we'll we'll work with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so Elizabeth, talk to us. You know, let us share with a little bit about how long you've been working in this space, and you know, the journey into building Hustle Fund. Yeah, so I've been investing in early stage startups since um, I'll call it 2015. I started in late 2014, and um, so almost six, going on six years now. And I've been building on Hustle Fund for the last two, going on three years now. So I've yeah. been around the block a little bit. I mean, there's certainly a lot of investors who have been around the block a lot longer than I have. Uh, but you know, I think as as you know, and and perhaps others like we invest, and I always have invested in a lot of companies. So I think that's kind of taught me a lot of things through school of hard knocks too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so talk to us a little bit about how, you know, the investment thesis for hustle fund came about. Cause I've actually watched a video from y'all's website, but I think it would be lovely for you to share with our guide community. Well, I think we look at a lot of things from the perspective of, of founders. I mean, as you mentioned mm -hmm. so kindly, I, you know, previously had a startup myself, which I started actually during the last recession, which is something else. And, ironic, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could not raise any money. And, yeah. um, you know, the meetings that I went into with with investors, they were all checking their stocks like during the middle of the meeting. And so it was just something else. And and my two business partners as well, you know, they've, they've had experience on that side of the fence as well. Like Eric also, he bootstrapped his company. He didn't even raise any money. Um, and in part, frankly speaking, it's because we really struggled to raise. Right. So I think we've seen firsthand what it is like to be a founder raising, having experienced it ourselves. And it's, it's brutal. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and it's brutal on a number of fronts, like, you know, everything from, I don't know, a VC will ghost you and whether it's mm. inadvertent or, you know, whatever, it, it doesn't matter. Like it's not a wonderful experience. VCs are often late. I've had a lot of VCs change meetings on me like multiple times. Yeah. I'm usually at the last minute. And, and then, you know, and then to the other end of the extreme, just like even really bad behavior um, in 2017, you know, we certainly saw some of that as well. So I think there's just a whole gamut of VC is not an industry that I think people should look up to. And yeah. I think actually almost to that end when I was, you know, I actually hadn't thought about jo joining a VC. I, I was actually thinking about what startup do I want to build next? And wow. I realized actually, wait, <laughs> here's this industry that's sitting in front of me that has a lot of problems. Let's go and try to solve some of those. So it, it's going to take a long time, but that that's what our mission is. Yeah. And I love how you and your, your uh, business partner, Eric, partnered up and you're building this amazing fund. How what was the story behind that? How did you two meet and kind of align on, on this vision for Hustle Fund? Yeah, I've known Eric for a long time personally, like um, he and his wife and actually my third business partner, she and co, we all we all went to school together. So I've known all of them for like what, 20, 20 years wow. or something like that. But, um, you know, many years ago now, I guess in uh, 2012 or 2013, actually, we we teamed up to run a conference um called hustle con and so that's mm -hmm. actually how we first started working together and and we work together actually quite well we're very complimentary um if you've ever met eric like eric is he's hilarious on twitter <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's him and and i would say that I, i'm much more uh he's the life of the party and i'm the yeah. person like behind a computer <laughs> so, so that's kind of that's kind of how we operate and um yeah, I mean, I think that that's uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I would love for you to kind of talk a little bit more about when, when it comes to founders and entrepreneurs, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, you as an investor are looking at from a character set and even just a, an, a, an idea and execution set and founders and entrepreneurs? Yeah, so I think dissecting that, there are a couple of things. So one is, um, you know, trust. And then the other is, okay, actual execution. And and both are important. I would say arguably trust is way more important, right? Like yeah. if you don't trust somebody, no matter how awesome their skill set is, you're not going to invest. So trust, well, how do you assess trust when you just have met somebody? You, it's really hard to know whether you trust them or not. But I would say that I think, and, and I noticed this a lot more when I was previously at 500 startups because, you know, we just had people pitching us all day, like in yeah. running accelerator, it was really a high frequency investing model. So you met all kinds of people and trust goes, trust starts at hundred percent. I think in this country, investors will give you the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, like this is, this is a great person, but then like every little thing you it gets docked from that. And, and people would tell us all kinds of things like, Oh yeah, you know, we have nine customers, but then it turns out like you actually only have two customers and you were just like talking with seven or whatever <laughs> or, or in your pipeline, right? Like people exaggerate and yeah. that happens a lot. And I think especially for entrepreneurs, on one mm -hmm. hand, you know, there's this fake it till you make it attitude. And I, I, I certainly buy that to a good extent, but then there's a fine line between actual lying mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, being, 
optimistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, and that I think is a very hard line. And and you know, we hear all all kinds of stories about entrepreneurs crossing that line all the time. Hmm. And I think even if you just somewhat cross that line a little bit, then investors are like, "Whoa, I am out. I know nothing hmm. else about you except you just told me that you you had nine customers, but really only have two." Yeah, yeah. So, so that's the trust side. And then on the execution side, I mean, I think this is actually where I have a lot of qualms and where I think a lot more can be changed in the industry. I think, you know, trust is obviously always very hard to assess whether you trust somebody, but, but execution, you know, one of the things that I learned sort of in the beginning was of my investing career, like I would meet these founders, they'd be really good at talking. Like some people are very good at sales and you just walk <laughs> Oh my gosh, they're so amazing. <laughs> and, and I mean, I think admittedly, we all fall for this as well, right? Charismatic people in this world get ahead in life, even better if they're good looking. And, yeah. you know, so I think there are people who have advantages um, just right out of the gates. And I think you can certainly add race and gender into that. But I think even putting that aside, like extroverts, like beat introverts on this, right? Mm. So, I mean, but then it, it got me thinking, like I will walk away from a pitch and I would read my notes later and then think like, why was I so excited about that company again? Like if I just look at my raw notes of the actual facts that they said, it would be very different from how I felt during the meeting. And it occurred to me that actually that, you know, listening to people's pitches is really not a great way to assess a company. Mm. What you need to do is really understand, well, what is it they're doing in the business? So that kind of refined the way that I also ask my questions. I also changed my questions. You know, a lot of VCs ask things like, what's your TAM, total addressable market, and all these other things. But uh, investors don't really ask that many questions about, okay, well, what are you actually doing? So for mm. example, if you're doing customer development, like what that look like? Was, was it across two days or two weeks or, or two months? And there's a big difference in my mind amongst those three, right? Like the faster you can do your customer development suggests to me that you are laser focused, that you prioritize that learning, that you also have hustle and drive to be able to do so. And that you also have some element of salesman or saleswomanship to be able to get people on the phone with you. So, mm. so those things are important. Um, other things that I think VCs have traditionally asked in my mind are, are less important. Actually, I never ask about TAM. Um, oh. Yeah. So, and, and I think, you know, I, I love your perspective in terms of saying, looking more deeper into how are they approaching the business? Are, you know, are they in product development mode, customer development mode and versus just kind of saying high level, Oh, what's the pitch? You know, what's your positioning? Yeah. I mean, the thing on the flip side is I also saw, like I also trained many of these people going through the accelerator to be very yeah. good at pitching, <laughs> you know, right? And you realize that every demo day presentation is <laughs> up and to the right. Like everything yeah. looks amazing. Everybody's always growing, but that's obviously not true. So you can always frame your story mm -hmm. to sound great, especially if you have that skill set. And, um, and so that's another reason, like, like having, having done that before I realized, well, you know, people can obviously do that to me. So um, that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from as well. Like what is actually happening in the business? I want to know more of the qualitative, like what is it you're actually doing? What questions did you ask, actually ask in your customer development? You know, who did you call? What is the customer persona? Like all these things that really kind of digging into the weeds rather than the 10,000, you know, foot pie in the sky kind of level of, you know, how big is this market? And yeah. like, what, what new verticals can you go into in five years? Like that, you have to be able to get on the first rung to be mm. able to climb up the ladder. 
Mm, powerful, powerful. And you know, you, one, one thing you mentioned is that developing trust, you know, you, you start at a hundred percent and then, at, you know, as, as they maybe lie or, you know, do something that's wrong, you, they kind of get cut off right now. Everyone's remote. Right. And, you know, I, you, I've been reading your tweets lately. I mean, you're, 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 you're a phenomenal tweeter. You're a prolific tweeter. And you've been talking a lot about kind of the shift and because we're now in a remote first world in terms of how private equity has changed and how VCs are even vetting entrepreneurs. You know, I want you to talk a little bit more about because Hustle Fund is a completely remote team. And I think that's fascinating. You know, what? how has COVID-19 kind of changed y'all's process and how you guys are looking at opportunities? It, it hasn't changed ours, at least not very much, because mm. we've always done our interviews over video conference like this, uh, even pre-COVID. And so we've always, quote, assessed founders like uh, remotely. And I think, frankly speaking, you know, I, I I think I struggle with this a bit, like to understand, you know, I have plenty of peer VCs who are, you know, not very confident in their skills in assessing founders remotely. And I, I kind of struggled to wrap my head around that a little bit because when I was a founder and I was going to all these offices in Sand Hill, you dress up and you know, you're all polished and that's not, I mean, it is me, but that's not really me, right? Really me is like in this room, like <laughs> with my white padded walls here and, and we're having like a, an informal conversation like this. That's really me. And so I always kind of felt like those in-person meetings were very, um, contrived and mm. and that's you know i think that that's it's kind of interesting that this whole industry has relied on that for so long um for me i get my signals around the questions that i ask and if there are inconsistencies in people's answers like that that's how i kind of assess on the trust front but i think people often my fellow vcs often talk about well do i see their shifty eyes and you know like or what is their <laughs> co-founder smirk or something like that. And I, I think, um, you know, there's certainly some of that. And, uh, but, but I think you can even see some of that on, on video as well. If, hmm. you know, if you're, if you're looking for things like that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, nothing really has changed for us. I mean, I think actually the big thing is like, we actually are doing more deals and probably it's because some VCs are doing fewer is my guess. Hmm. 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 So, I mean, for you all, it's just, it's still the same. Still the same. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about, because, you know, you all have been remote first. So you kind of have experience building and leading remote teams, right? So, you know, what are two or three of your tips? Because it's such a huge conversation right now. And recently in the news, Facebook just announced, you know, they're encouraging all of their employees to stay as remote as, as for as long as possible, right? Yeah. And by 2020, they'll be 50%, not 2020, 2030 or so, they'll be 50% remote. Yeah. Right? So what are two to three of your practical tips on building remote sustainable teams? Because now a lot of entrepreneurs are building remote teams too, right? You know, I yeah. know my co-founder and I, you know, he lives in Seattle. I live in wherever I'm, I'm usually at doing these things. So we've had to, you know, build our, our, our startups completely remote. So I would love to kind of get your tips on that. Yeah, I think uh, really nailing the communications expectations is yeah. incredibly important. And actually, I think for VCs, funny enough, we can actually kind of get away with some things because in some sense, our work is fairly uh, isolated, isolated. Like yeah. I don't need to collaborate with my business partners and talking with an entrepreneur, but 
a product team does like they need to collaborate on an actual product. So I think over communicating certainly, and then like establishing upfront what channels are going to be used for what. So like, I think mm -hmm. there, a lot of miscommunications can often happen over uh, Slack or writing. Um, and then you end up in these crazy arguments where somebody <laughs> misunderstood somebody else. Um, so understanding when is it appropriate to hop on the phone or video conference versus writing something in Slack. And I think even uh, to the extent possible, like, can you create serendipity as well? Maybe you can in Slack, but I think one of the things that I did both with my product startup, which was also remote, um, you know, several years ago, which was we, we bought everybody an iPad and wow. we had a zoom account we also got a zoom account a paid one and before it was super popular <laughs> yeah but i've loved zoom from the very beginning like yeah. i report all kinds of bugs in the beginning <laughs> uh, and even like eric yuan the ceo would like respond right away wow. like wow. It, it was when they were so young i wish i guess in retrospect i wish i had had money back then to buy their stock <laughs> but um, but, the, but the point is like we we actually left our ipads on with zoom on all day and it never dropped that's why i was so impressed with with zoom because we tried hangouts and skype and all these other tools and uh and that just worked so when you had sort of a random idea mm. you could just say it out loud it was kind of like you were in a room with um with your colleagues and so that was how we tried to create some serendipity. Obviously, you know, for a couple of my teammates that that felt a little bit creepy, like, oh, my gosh, I'm always on video. And so I think, you know, some of these things have to be worked out. But what is the communications culture at your company and yeah. making sure that everybody's aligned with that? Yeah. So establishing a really clear communication framework and allowing that to lead to some sort of serendipity. Right. Like, are there time zones or time frames where everyone's on Slack at the same time to communicate requirements? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, that's powerful. That's powerful. And I, I think you know, going remote, there's a whole. You have you have to be become a better communicator. Yeah. You know, I thought I was good at communication. Then I, I then I started building a remote company. I'm like, wow. Like, there's a lot of documentation. There's a lot of you know, how do you continue to create clarity? You know, you have to use video, audio, and it's not just written text because sometimes you know people yep. gloss over text, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And within uh, Hustle Fund, we also survey everybody when we onboard a, a new a new person, wow. whether they're an intern or they're, uh, you know, actually an employee on their work style. And to, yeah. so that way, you know, some people are really bad at email. Other people are really bad at Slack, just like understanding that uh, as it fits in with our own communications expectations. So for us, for example, you know, Slack is more for, you know, here's the casual thought or whatever email is this needs to be done. Like if yeah. you're putting actual action items into Slack, like it may be lost and, and you should realize that is kind of our corporate communications culture. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I want to, I want to lead that into asking you, you know, there's a lot of, I think innovation happening right now because things are, so, I feel as if COVID-19 has been that Cambrian explosion to <laughs> new ideas across everything, right. Whether it be e-learning or product design. And, you know, I'm even seeing masks now, on like aesthetic looking masks with a ventilator, <laughs> you know, like all of these new ideas. And I would love to kind of get your thoughts on what are some technology trends that you're keeping an eye out for, you know, post COVID-19? Wow, you know, that's a tough question. And in general, I hate to play like trend call or whatever because I'm <laughs> always wrong, <laughs> always wrong. But um, that being said, so health is a big one we're looking at. Uh, mm. 
you know, I think just in particular, a lot of regulations in health have been relaxed, where a couple of our telemedicine companies previously thought, well, maybe it's on our roadmap in a couple of years to go to all 50 states. But now, actually, they've expedited that because just there have been some legal changes in light of this environment. Now, whether those legal changes are temporary or whether they're here to stay, I think I would bet on they're here to stay because, you know, if all of a sudden you're working with patients in Idaho and then next thing we know, the laws change, like you're going to have just a whole bunch of patients like lose their, their you know, practitioners, their, their doctors, their nurses, their whomever. So I think that would be a disaster. Um, so I would bet on that trend. And we are definitely looking at a lot of health companies. Uh, we always have, like, we already have 11 health portfolio companies, but we're still looking at more. And, um, and then I think the other one, which is sort of obvious and, and maybe perhaps is related to this podcast is like, the future of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one is Very fascinating because that there's just so many things in that category. Um, and so we've seen everything from new communications tools, like that's a big category in itself, whether it's voice or video or asynchronous or synchronous or whatever. Like there's just a ton of people trying things there. I think it's going to be just sort of a matter of what people get comfortable with. But I think as a whole, if you see that whole sector growing, I think actually all of those will win. It's just a matter of how big. And then, um, and then sort of beyond the communications tools, like sort of the next second order or whatever is around, um, I, I guess I don't know what you call it, services for remote work. So as an example, I just saw a pitch today that basically is uh, a pitch for, you know, an, an IT services marketplace where they s serve people remotely, like they will come to your house. So instead of your IT department at your work, like now your IT department no longer really exists. So how, how do you get your stuff fixed? So things along those lines, I think as well, will, will be big. Um, and so th those are the main things. I mean, I think the third order is for people, for businesses that have traditionally relied on brick and mortar, uh, brick and mortar, like what are sort of peripheral services or products that they can sell? Like we're already seeing that with new companies, uh, you know, food delivery is a pretty saturated space, uh, but you know, <laughs> there, there seemingly is more room for that, like helping restaurants who couldn't do delivery before. I, I read about a bakery in LA that is putting together bread kits and actually they make more money on their bread kits than they ever did on their bakery. And so, you know, how can, how can you help small businesses on main street basically come online in some format or at least, you know, supplement their revenue. So those are kind of the three future work areas. And there's, there's just a lot in each of those. Yeah, no, I, I feel like that, that those are some, some great ones that you, you outlined. And I think what I've, I've loved seeing is how so many companies are coming to the aid of small businesses now, you know, whether it be Facebook launching Facebook shop or, you know, the government, you know, and the PPP uh, uh, loans. I think that it's interesting that this resurgence and emphasizing why our small businesses matter uh, and our service workers matter. And, you know, I, one of the things I've loved is seeing the innovation in the healthcare space. And, you know, some of the some of the focus on telehealth. My dad's actually a social worker. So I've been, you know, at home seeing him take calls with patients and just doing teletherapy. So, like, it's oh, really wow. happening. Yeah, yeah. Live and in action. Yeah. How, how does that work out, actually? Does it feel like it's the same level of experience or do you think it's harder to get people to open up? 
you know, I I think he's doing a great job. Um, you know, and sometimes it's on the phone. Sometimes they're they're not using Zoom. They're using some or um other kind of video conferencing solution that the government has approved. Uh-huh. But it, it's it's really it's it's participatory. It's interactive, and you know, he does a lot of yelling. So, <laughs> so <laughs> but it's actually happening, and you know, he's eventually going to go back to to on site. But they are really like. In healthcare, they're really adopting this, and you know it's it's working. It's effective. Yeah, I mean, I think this has basically forced a lot of organizations to to change, like yeah. whether it's health or remote working. Like I think five months ago, there are so many organizations that would never have considered it. Yeah, now that they're forced to, they can't envision going fully back. I, I do think people will go back. Um, I don't think things will be a hundred percent remote, but. Uh, but it's hard to imagine going a hundred percent back. Yeah, yeah. People are still going to be scared. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's going to be sticking around for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Elizabeth, thank you so much for tuning in and joining us in this bite-sized afternoon afternoon episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guide podcast. You know, what are your key takeaways for any entrepreneur, any potential founder out there that's looking to to build the next big thing? You know, I think, so this is stemming from my experience of uh, building my own company during the last recession. And actually, I think this is going to sound very bizarre and perhaps negative, but I I think there's a little bit of a cleansing in some sense where Mm. I kind of felt like things seemed so easy as an entrepreneur. It's never easy, but things it just with the way that the news writes about things like a year ago, things seemed very easy as an entrepreneur. So all these people were like, great, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start a business, not really understanding the full ramifications and implications. But now I think the people who are running startups now, like big kudos to them and to you, like, I think these are the people who are serious about their businesses. um, Because, you know, even though the environment seems scary, it it actually is a very good forcing function to force people to decide, like, Mm -hmm. is this really what you want to do or not? And it's I I actually think in in the net, it's not actually easier or harder now than it was a year ago. But for whatever reason, just the environment seems scarier. And therefore, people who are not serious about it would feel like, well, maybe I shouldn't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 it's, you have an opportunity to choose, like stick it through or not. Right. So like a lot of resilience is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, the people who are left are resilient is basically what I'm saying. (laughs) Right. Like it's, yeah. Um, So now to Juana Sanchez, who has been tuning in the entire time. She said he or she says, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for your amazing insights. And shout out to also Hamza, who's who's doing innovation for global tax business. He says, thanks, Tim and Elizabeth, for this interesting talk. I would like to ask Elizabeth about what she thinks about crowd shipping businesses in the next decade. I don't know if you have any knowledge about that space, Elizabeth. Crowd what? (laughs) Crowd shipping businesses. Crowd shipping? Yeah. I don't even know what that is. Maybe you can tell me what it is. <laughs> that might be a new sector. Hobson, let us know what is crowd shipping or are you talking about crowdsourcing 
businesses in the next decade. Let us know. I'm sure Elizabeth will follow up in the comments. With that, with that said, oh, shout out to Kenna as well, you know, who also says, you're so real, Elizabeth. Thank you both. So she really loved this episode. And Kenna's a rock star entrepreneur herself. She's always starting new things. With that said, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful live episode of Unleashing the Future of Work. Be safe and be healthy. And, you know, Olushe is saying thank you both. Where can the people find you, Elizabeth, and your work? Well, just as a shameless plug, you can find me at my blog, elizabethyin.com, and you can subscribe to my newsletter, which has tactical tips. Um, but I'm also on Twitter, pretty active on Twitter, as Tim mentioned. Correct. And I also have no qualms just giving out my email address, um, elizabeth at hustlefund.vc. Uh, and I do try to respond to everybody, like if your email doesn't go to spam. And uh, yeah, it just may be a little slow sometimes. But uh, and then I think if you do want to pitch us in our business, actually, the, the better place is hustlefund.vc, which is just our website. That's where we streamline everything, including people who you know write to me. I will actually just direct you there. Um, and that and allows the webinar, too. I'm sorry. And you all are hosting free webinars, too. We are. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yep. So make sure to check that out. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Bye. With that said, thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guide podcast. If you're interested on being in a future episode, please check us out, utfow.com. I appreciate y'all for tuning in to this special afternoon episode. Elizabeth is brilliant and she is a gem. So I'm so excited that she shared all those insights with you all. With that said, you all, you know, have a great day. Have a great night. Stay safe, stay, stay healthy. And more importantly, stay killing it. Stay building something that you love. All right, y'all. Peace.